You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Research continues to show that for children with hearing loss to reach their maximum potential, families must be heavily involved in their care. Setting goals, actively helping with intervention, and building up advocacy skills all typically are responsibilities of the parent on top of parenting. So as clinicians, it's so important that we respect and empathize with parents who are on this journey, and today's guest is going to help us better understand what that journey looks like. Valley Gideons is an author, military bride, speaker, and mother of two thriving teens who were born with hearing loss. With a degree in journalism, she transitioned from everyday stories to sharing her family's hearing loss journey. To date, her work has reached millions of people across multiple platforms. With an engaged community made up of parents and leaders in the field of the deaf and hard of hearing, she is passionate about her role as advocate and champion of children who are deaf or hard of hearing. Valley is also a speaker staff writer for multiple publications, and a social media manager. When she's not writing or carpooling to and from a sports gym or field, you can find her walking her two rescue pups along a beach trail. You can learn more about Valley and her family at www.mybattlecall.com. We're going to be talking a little bit more about what My Battle Call is and how she got here, but I'm so excited to have Ms. Valley Gideons joining me. How are you doing, Valley? Hey! Hey! <laughs> how are you? Good, good. Good to see you. Good to see you, Dakota. Now you've got you. That's got to be a fake background behind you. It looks too beautiful. It's way too beautiful. Well, where do you live? South Carolina. Oh well, you have good weather. We're in California. It just looks so nice out there. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering why we're not doing this outside. It's pretty warm here, but it's just so humid that it's not realistic. Uh, yeah. I think the computer would break down. I hear you. We've lived in the South, so I appreciate that humidity, and I appreciate we live where there is none. <laughs> so let's actually, let's get into that then. I know you guys have done a lot of traveling. You're a military family. Um, what did that look like? I know I have a, a current family right now uh, with a very young daughter. She has a cochlear implant, and they're actually in the process of a move, even though she just got her implant activated li- this month. And so I'm curious kind of what's been your family's story uh, from the beginning with hearing loss into how you got here. I know it's probably a long one with a lot of moves, but you know, however you can break that down for us. I mean, where do you want me to start as far as our military background? Just, I know that that's a factor in terms of your story. So like maybe with the early diagnosis of your kiddos, what that process was like for you at first, and then kind of how the many moves, how you've had to keep up with that and keep up with care. Uh, You strike me as a binder uh, family. I have a few of those where they've just got binders of all their visit notes and things like that. So if you want to, if you want to just speak to kind of your early, early start of your journey. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yes, we are a military family. So that has meant lots of moves. And my son battle was born in, we were uh, stationed in Cleveland, Ohio at the time in a remote location. So not on a military base. So it was a really different experience because we had no support as far as military facilities and networks of friends and all that stuff. So it's kind of a typical story as far as he failed the infant screening. 
and we were told to come back in two weeks. It was probably just uh, fluid in the ear canal. So did not even think really twice about it. And I've written about how, you know, he's our first, we're bringing this baby home and you're just worrying about burping, nursing, no sleep, all the things that any person who has a newborn feels. So we really didn't even think when we were going to that test that we would be going to get anything, but that he was all clear and could hear just fine. So when we went through that whole process and, you know, the big recliner, they put people in who have infants and I'm supposed to nurse him to sleep and keep him perfectly still. And I'm, you know, I've been a mom for two weeks at this point. So even (laughs) just doing that is, I mean, I'm drenched, profusely sweating. I got him to sleep. I don't know how, Um, you know, now I'm thinking, please don't poop on me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he fell asleep and they did the test and the audiologist said, come with me. They invited us into the room and I describe it as the room no parent wants to be invited into because you just know in your gut, wait, this isn't good. And the doctor, I call him Dr. Labcoat because I don't even remember what he looked like, what his name was. (laughs) I mean, literally walked in. He had residents with him that day too because I remember it was like more than one person and I could hear them out talking outside the door and then they come in and he literally in one breath says he has severe to profound hearing loss will probably get hearing aids maybe a cochlear implant and probably go to mainstream high school any questions and me and my husband were like what cochlear what main high school like (laughs) he's an infant what are you talking about and I don't remember anything else just going to the counter and them setting up appointments with the ENT and the geneticist and the interventionist and the, you know, handing us the car for speech pathology and all the, all the things. And we Mm -hmm. just, we wandered back to our car. We sat there staring straight ahead and just wept. Mm. Like, what did we just hear? Did you hear what I heard? Like, I, what? Like, so needless to say, we switched clinics because we knew in our gut, that's not what right should look like. Like yeah. it, that is not how it should be done. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up at a great clinic and then got surrounded by, you know, one at a time, expert by expert who really brought us in and explained what it meant and what we had to do to go forward. And, and so then we ended up doing cochlear implant when he was one, while I was pregnant with my daughter. And then we found out through genetic testing that she also had the same syndrome. They have Mm -hmm. Pendred syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so before she was even born, we knew as I were literally getting ready to put our son into surgery for his implant, we find this out. Um, And then she was born in another state because we got orders to move. And so again, finding a new like the whole team again, yeah. Um, having to set that all up again. I mean, at least we knew what people like the job meant. Sure. Like I knew what an audiologist was. I did not know what an audiologist was before this. Mm-hmm. And um, you learn a lot quickly, really quickly. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, my son's 16. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't just Google things or go on a Facebook group page. Like it's, I know it's dinosaur, like to imagine, right. 
Can you imagine? It's come a long way. <laughs> so far. And uh, so that's just kind of how it began. And then we ended up back in Southern California where we were introduced to our now audiologist who has seen the kids since our daughter was born. And she, I think, so she met our daughter when she was one and my son was getting ready to turn three. And so now from then on, no matter where we moved, we flew back mm -hmm. for her to map and guide. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So some of your, especially your early experience, we had a, an episode maybe a month and a half ago with uh, Dr. Lelock Saperstein oh, yeah. of All About Audiology, who I know you've spoken with before. And it just reminded me of that. Such, such an important reminder for parents that I'm really glad you guys took advantage of, which is like, you can get a second opinion, just like you would on any medical or dental or whatever, like with your child's hearing loss, if you want to talk to another professional, you have every right to go see someone else if you aren't happy or if you aren't comfortable with what happened. So I'm really glad to hear you were able to find someone who could meet your needs that way and who, you know, uh, who, you know, handled it a little bit more professionally, I guess, and with a little bit more care. So I'm glad to hear that it ultimately was, was for a better outcome. And so it's interesting. So they have Pendred syndrome. I'm assuming they had enlarged vestibular aqueducts. Is that bilateral for both of them, both yep. ears? Okay. Yeah. Are both of them bilaterally implanted? No, my son's uh, bilateral and Harper, who's 14 now, is unilateral, wears a hearing aid. And she, we're actually going in the sound booth next week. We monitor her left ear annually, and it's just been a gradual decline. Sure. It fluctuates, but it hasn't had those severe drops like you usually see. Yeah. And it's really a matter of when we'll get the next implant. And but yeah. it, it's ironic because five years ago I was all in. And now the older the kids get, the more I think that part of my brain has formed cause and effect and worry. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting ready to have a driver in the house. And sure. And so I realized there's no good time to send your kid into surgery. Like yeah. you're but she's on board she knows it's going to help her. Um, mm -hmm. She does really, really well with her hearing aid. It's, uh, she's a, definitely a dual air, ear. A bi kit. Bimodal. 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 Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, she really, the audiologist, she's always just so amazed with how much that hearing aid does for her, even yeah. though her hearing really, there's not much there. Sure. So uh, big difference. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit then about like their hearing loss journey, I guess. So it sounds like battle was diagnosed severe to profound at birth. Right. And then I know with, so with Pendred syndrome and enlarged vestibular aqueduct, we can see that fluctuating kind of like rapidly progressing sensory neural hearing loss. I think about 10% of children who have sensory neural hearing loss have it related to enlarged vestibular aqueduct in some way, sometimes through Pendred syndrome. I'm curious, did you see, sometimes we see some balance issues with kiddos with EVA. Did you see those problems with your children? Yeah, <laughs> we got that too. We were so lucky. We got the vestibular issue too, like big time. Um, okay. We did we did OT, occupational therapy for three years, three days a week. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, because he was that, um, it, if you know you would uncoordinated or clumsy or mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that if you really weren't dialed super in, that's what you would think, but yeah, his, and he had where he had cut his body down the middle. I now see these words are, I can't remember the words now because I've been out of the OT world for so long where he wouldn't cross his midline. 
Okay. Like a hemiplegia, sometimes they call it. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. So if the ball is on his left, he's going to, instead of reach, you know, he's not going to cross with his dominant hand. Sure. Yeah, we did. My daughter's wasn't nearly, she was always super coordinated. It didn't present the same, but his was really obvious. And ironically, he's a stellar athlete now. I was going to say, I know both of them are athletes. So I'm curious what that progression was like for you guys. Well, I find it so uh, amazing when people are like, oh, they're just naturals. I'm like, Harper is definitely natural as far as coordination, hand-eye. She can watch and then mimic like mm-hmm. crazy. But his did not come easy. He worked tirelessly. He still does. Sure. He has a natural uh, fire in him. He's okay. a natural like competitor. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't quit. Like he is the last kid, you know, to come off the field. The first one on, last off, like doesn't plays through the whistle. Like mm-hmm. he's that, he has an engine. But um, as far as it coming easy, no. Sure. Not work. I'm hoping uh, in a little bit here, we'll talk a little bit about like what their team was like, especially with you guys having to travel, how you were able to find the professionals that you needed. Cause I'm sure, you know, you mentioned occupational therapy. There was probably some physical therapy maybe at some point in there. And with them being athletes, they've probably done something where they needed a physical therapist too. But before we get to that, I'm also curious. So you've been able to see with battle, he's had cochlear implants, I'm assuming now for a long time. And you've had with Harper, this hearing aid on one side implant on the other. Can you speak to any of like the differences between the two in in terms of like caring for them breakdown like how has that been do you do you really love her hearing aid but hate her implant or vice versa or how's that process been oh wow well we kind of are neglect we kind of neglect her poor little hearing aid i mean we really do even Mm -hmm. though she relies on it the the implant just dominates because of all the moving parts and how critical it really is um and expensive Right. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Um, I will tell you the difference between, this is probably not really the answer to your question, but the difference between boys and girls or battle and Harper is battle carries his around in his hands. He'll put them in his pocket. He'll leave them on the bathroom floor. He'll, um, I mean, it's where we're writing a children's book on, this is our second book. We're writing on where's battle's ears, where in the world are <laughs> battle's ears because he's 16 and still, Yeah. I mean, you can't even, you can't even, and then she has always, she was able to put her own devices on when she was super itty bitty. Mm -hmm. Uh, She always knows where they are. She puts them in the case at night. She charges her batteries at night. She knows when a battery's dead, she goes and replaces it. Like just, it's really interesting to see the difference. And he equally knows they're important. So it's not that he doesn't want to hear and she wants to hear I mean, when it's important, he, you know, his girlfriend's calling, he's like, where's my left ear? Where's my left ear? You know? So we're working on that now that he's in high school, kind of trying to put more of the ownership onto him. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty comfortable with dealing with anything that goes wrong with them now. I have my, my emergency pack on me at all times. And on the football field, we have the batteries down on the field and we have backups in the car and, you know, but it does get a little nerve wracking as you're starting to see, like we're starting to talk about college and Mm -hmm. knowing that I have to pass the torch. We have to pass the torch to him. So we're starting to give him more and more of ownership, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, doesn't always go well. 
Yeah, I believe it. And especially at this age where I don't know how many things I lost at that. I mean, anything, anything important to me too, that would still just disappear. And I, I feel so bad about it. So I can't imagine when it's something that, yeah. that important, you know? Well, well, you know, he does, well, he doesn't lose his phone. <laughs> so we know, it's, we know it's possible to not lose things. Yeah. But so we're, we're working on it. Yeah, that's great. So actually, when they were younger, I'm curious. I so I've been I've been doing I've been reading up, right? I've been reading. Oh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in a little bit because I I want to talk about this more. But what is the what is the song? So there was a song that you had to help her keep her magic ears on, right? So I know with the families that I work with, that's that's one of those things where it's like out of the gate we're we're struggling with, and then also years down the line we're struggling with is keeping our devices on right and we have all these different strategies we can try but each family kind of has to find their thing that's really going to make it work and the the kiddo's going to be on board the family's going to be on board and everybody's going to be happy it's never going to be perfect they're still going to throw them off in the car and they're going to get stuck to the swing set all of those things are definitely going to happen but i love that you guys had a song so i'm curious if there's anything that you want to speak to the parents or the clinicians out there currently struggling with this how do we keep it on their head? Like she's one and a half, she's two, he's three, and they are just playing with it. What do we do? What, what would you share with them? Oh my goodness. This is pro- that's probably one of the biggest questions, most common questions I ever get across all my platforms, Instagram, Facebook, on my website, is how do you keep them on? I couldn't, I can't get my kid to keep them on. And when we were living that, I remember it was torture. It was so stressful because I really was 100% in that they were going to wear them during all waking hours. And so it wasn't like negotiable that, ah, they're just not, you know, uh, I mean, we were trying every strategy possible and it was exhausting. So every parent that's going through that with the littles, I just empathize and say, this season will pass, but when you're in it, you cannot minimize how incredibly stressful and frustrating it is but it will pass and so now we can laugh at battle leaving his implant on the floor and here but but you know he's wired now so he's he's good now it's just annoying right yeah (laughs) Um, but so we i think committed early on we would never use it as something that was a punishment or negative and we would never make it a power struggle Mm. And I have two very stubborn, Harper particularly, very, oh, she's so stubborn. So if you were going to like make it a game, you my way, your way, my way, she, you were going to lose because she would not stand down. Yeah. So we always just made it pleasurable. We always associated something positive happening after like reading a book. Both kids love to read books, playing music, singing. So we had a, yeah, we had a family song. Mm-hmm. it's someone magic ears magic ears harper loves her magic ears like you know variations of that we would dance yeah. like we would make it something pleasurable and then when they would get tossed if they were tossing them off we'd we'd put them right back on and say magic ears and sing the song and then try to do something pleasurable that they would see kind of like okay um, not we're not rewarding them for taking them off but we're like celebrating that they're on and sure they did Battle was 18 months, and I'll never forget when he made the connection that that implant was something that gave him access to sound and that he wanted it. And um, it, you know, 18 months is young. It seemed like an eternity to get there, but it, yeah. you know, in, in the grand scheme, mm-hmm. now that he's 6'1", I'm like, 
you know, 18 months is pretty fast for a little kid. Yeah. And Harper as an infant had developed, I think we talked about it in the book. Yeah. Her fine motor skills were like off the charts, but it was yeah. horrible because she would pull her hearing aids out. Sure. And so that's a choking hazard and that's you know, <laughs> concerning. So I have to keep my eyes on her at all times. So with a toddler and then a, you know, a handy little kid taking them out, putting them in her mouth, what I would do is I'd put her in a bouncy seat or something and have hearing aid timeouts mm-hmm. for me. That's a good idea. That's so great. I, so I, it would like, okay, I'm going to cook dinner and have 20 minutes that I don't have to watch her hands. And it really did kind of give me like a little bit of a break and a relief to just have a, that moment that I just wasn't fixed on her hands. Sure. So I encourage that. And then you can't beat yourself up. You know, you just do the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that uh, the clinicians that you were working with were, you know, affirming that because I think I've talked to some families where they felt so much pressure to be absolutely perfect with their wear time because when they go to see their audiologist and that number gets checked and it's not, they just feel this like guilt and the shame about it. And it's so important that clinicians are like, like you're a person, <laughs> like yeah, there's no, I, I understand, especially if you have a kid of your own who's going through that phase with anything, they're ripping everything apart. Imagine something that it's on them that you could easily access. So I think that's so great to give yourself breaks like that. That's a great strategy. I hope some people will, will take to heart is, it's not just a break for her. It's a break for you in terms of that supervision and that eye that's always on her at all times just for a little bit of relief. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I like that you have that attitude. Like I can tell you're an amazing clinician because not to shame parents mm-hmm. because they wouldn't be seeing you if they weren't doing the best they could. And again, we had a perfect example. We had one of the best auditory verbal therapists in the country. I mean, the best. And then when we moved, now that's something you can't fly in on the regular to do. So we switched. um, And one that we came across along the years. um, So we went from this amazing, just setting the bar high, celebrating all the little victories and, you know, to someone who just liked to tell us everything we were doing wrong and everything that I, with Harper particularly, pointing out every single thing that wasn't going right for her listening and her language and Mm. and I mean again we knew what right looked like so we knew this is not the right fit because I can't leave defeated every time sure like we need some encouragement around here yeah Uh, absolutely you know and then what can we celebrate with I'm you know I'm not wanting to be lied to but you know don't underestimate the power of encouragement it's like huge yeah that's so. perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's that's a great reminder for clinicians and other parents like to not settle for someone who puts you down, right? If they're going to be this involved in your child's care, they need to be on the team. And if we're on a team together, we're cheering each other on. We're not putting each other down. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. Well, in this particular therapist, she also, she had older kids, but she didn't have children who were deaf or hard of hearing. And, but she acted like she knew what it was like to walk in our shoes because she mm-hmm. worked with kids that were deaf and hard of hearing. Yeah. And it, it's like, you don't really know what it's like to live 24 seven with this dynamic. You don't. So empathize, like learn, like learn from us too. Yeah. You don't, you don't know it all. You just don't until you've lived it. It's very different to see it for an hour and, mm-hmm. you know, and then live it 24 seven. 
So that's a great perspective. That's a great perspective. Okay. So getting to the professionals then I'm curious over the years, it's probably too many to count. I bet like, I can't even imagine just the number of people. Right. But I'm curious, kind of like what the team of experts, maybe at a time that you felt like was like peak care, right? Like what did that team look like? Did you have any kind of insight into how they were communicating with each other? Were they all in the same building or like, what did that dynamic look like when it was at its best? And then maybe a time when it wasn't so good just for our clinicians out there to kind of have a model that they can maybe be looking to either build upon themselves or, you know, work towards in some way. What did that kind of team look like? Oh gosh, you're right. There's been so many versions (laughs) and every stage of the kid's life is going to be different like the, you know, the people that you put around them as their team. So when it really got idyllic is when that all switched from mainstream preschool to a deaf and hard of hearing preschool program that had um, hearing peers. Mm-hmm. And it, we had the best teacher. She was, I mean, we're still friends today. She, mm-hmm. she was just an amazing teacher. And then our IEP team, was super important. We did continue to see our outside audiologist, but she would give notes for us to bring to our meetings and that school. So what is the person's name who's in charge of kids with disabilities at each district? Like a special education yeah. teacher? Yeah, I don't know. That might not be the best, but someone, someone in that kind of a role. Yeah, it's the point person and usually it's in a district or something. Okay. Yeah, this is how far removed I am now because <laughs> we go to a private school now, so it's a different system. Um, but those people who really got to know the whole child, mm-hmm. so the teacher, the audiologist, the speech, the, either the speech or auditory verbal mm-hmm. through the school, it was speech. And then um, that key person who, if you had a problem, you could go to. Sure. Um, was really the dream team. Yeah. That's really great. And so you had like kind of a personal connection with each of them along that time. And then I guess when it came to IEP times, that's when they would sort of team up to work things out. Yeah. We've really been, I don't think it's luck. I think we created that real team collaborative vibe that we had through mm-hmm. the, through the years we had it at our kids' elementary school when they transitioned into like mainstream classrooms. And then okay. we have it now at a private school. Um, it's just really educating the team that may not know that much about hearing loss. And then also just knowing we're on your side, we're all working for a common goal, mm-hmm. which is to support our child in the best way possible. So I never really, I know people like go in adversarial, like ready to punch. I, like I, we've not had to go in fist flying. Sure. We just make it clear what the accommodations we agree on, we expect that to be provided. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not negotiable. Mm-hmm. And I think they know we're heavily involved. So if those things weren't happening, then it wouldn't be like we would never know about it. But I never felt like I had to patrol or police the team. Yeah. I, I just think it's just a different mindset to say we're all here for the same goal. I know there are people who have terrible experiences where people are denying those accommodations. Mm -hmm. And then that's a whole nother story. Yeah. But we've just not had that experience. Thank goodness. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds excellent. I'm, I think it's, it's really dependent upon the district geographically where you're located. If you're going to have that many professionals, 
who, and I think the big thing too, is that there are so many professionals out there who mean well, but they just don't have experience with children with hearing loss. Yeah. And so they might have experience with children with a different disability that affects school performance, but hearing loss is kind of its own beast in terms of like, there's this device that's expensive and can break. And like a lot of it rests on that, whether the child is going to be performing well in school and paying attention and all of the things that could look like behaviors, but are really just their thing, their stuff isn't working. And so we need people on our team who really know what's going on here beyond just like investing in this child, which is super important, but it's so, it's so good that it sounds like you had professionals who had that extra experience and weren't just flying blind through the process. I'm curious when if you want to think back to like earlier on for battle when he was, so he probably had like an audiologist, an auditory verbal therapist, an ENT for his implants. He probably had the occupational therapist for balance. How would you describe kind of like, because that's a lot of different professionals who might not be all under the same umbrella of an organization. How would you describe how that went in terms of like communication and how you felt about how his needs were being met? Oh, it's probably a little while. It's about 16 years ago to think back. Yeah, but. I don't think, well, we did go to a therapy, OT therapy center where they had speech, OT, PT, all under the same roof. Okay. That was extremely helpful. And then that was the place we went three days a week for three years. So uh, we got really close with the people there. Sure. And in fact, when I thought I couldn't do it anymore. They cut, talked me off the ledge because he also, after his second implant surgery at age six, decided his new ear was itchy. He had a tactile reaction to it. Mm. And uh, my husband was deployed and I did not know how we were gonna get through this because he's got to wear it. You, mm-hmm. He can't not wear his new implant, but it's itchy. He's throwing it. He's screaming and crying outside of kindergarten. Like, you know, so it's actually the owner of the facility. We got to know each other mm-hmm. and she sat me down and just said, we've, we've got some strategies we can try and here's what I want you to do. And it's going to be okay. And just, um, so I didn't have to do it on my own. Sure. And I think whether your team communicates like that or not, I think it's trusting, finding people you can trust, people who listen to you, mm-hmm. really listen. Because if someone would have said, well, put a pilot cap on him, you know, I'd have punched him in the face. <laughs> You're like, like, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> and that, ha- by the way, that pilot cap is going to feel itchy. Yeah. And he's gonna- little strings under his chin. And-, and he's six. He's six. He's too old for a hat. Yeah, that's not going to solve his problem. Yeah, like somebody, okay, well, I might get in trouble for this, but somebody has created a rash guard that says death swimmer and maybe for littles, but I was like, my teenagers wouldn't be caught dead in that. The last thing they want, I mean, Battle First was not going to wear a shirt. He's got to flex, you know, he's got to be out there flexing. But I'm like, they would not want to wear something that said, look at me, I'm deaf. Like, mm-hmm. no way. Like, you got to consider your audience who you're, anyways, that's a tangent, but so the team, yeah, I think just over the years, because it has been different geographic locations, it's us also just doing our best to communicate with them and then having them write reports if they can't attend a meeting so we can share it. Um, They've been on the phone together. I think Mm -hmm. people being willing to like, let your OT speak to your speech therapist or, um, you know, that allowing those people to, to 
communicate is important. Absolutely. I would say the families where I, I love how you said if if we couldn't come, they'd write it up. It was the attitude of like, that's like the worst case scenarios. If I couldn't be there, then they would write a report for me. But otherwise, I'm planning to be there. So as a clinician who works with families like this, the families who expect a lot of their clinicians, which they should be, but also are investing just as much to be there at the appointments, to ask questions about what's going on. They're trying things at home. They're writing things down and coming with questions. Those are the families who are ultimately going to be the most successful. You could have the best team in the world, but if you're not as a family, like putting in what you learned there at home, which is asking a lot because you're also, like I said earlier, like parenting, like you've got to eat your food, you've got to do your homework, but you also have all of these other responsibilities. But those are the families who just knock it out of the park every time because they're invested and they understand what's happening. They're not just like passively letting their child go through this process. And they're just like, they'll find out about, I guess, how it turned out when they're adults and they can talk to them about it, you know? Yeah. That being said though, I do feel like um, the mental load of motherhood and shouldering the responsibility of having a child with any disability and knowing that their outcome is going to rely so much on what you do and invest can be so overwhelming. Mm. And I was blessed that I had um, access to resources and help with family and friends. And, um, you know, I worked for the YMCA for many years where I could bring my kids with me and get that fellowship and, sisterhood and all those things. But for the person who's just trying to grind alone or um, fighting with insurance and, and can't get, we got access to every thing we needed with rarely having to fight. Like mm-hmm. we really didn't have for any service the kids need, but I'm imagining if I was having to go to battle with all those elements you know, I'd be crying myself to sleep, I'm sure. And then feeling like I'm a failure and it mm. is exhausting. I mean, if you're really in on um, what would have been the same if we were going to teach our kids sign language, it would have been just as, you know, tedious. Sure. But um, kind of implementing that auditory verbal playbook at home, mm-hmm. you know, you get sick of your own voice. <laughs> like I would but, look and at- those exercises can be kind of repetitive. Yeah. I would look at a mom at the park who was just sitting there having a cup of coffee, just looking around and think, what is that like? What is that like to not be narrating? And yeah. then I realized I was, I was going a little overboard too. Like mm-hmm. the kids need time to be quiet and be alone and not have everything um, yeah. narrated. So we've struck about, you know, we ended up striking a balance, but you know, it just mainstream motherhood seems so carefree, even though it's not. Yeah. So I think I give the parents that, you know, they do want something, someone to fix it. Like, mm-hmm. because sometimes it's just too overwhelming. And um, so I give them a lot of compassion because it is not an easy job. Absolutely. It's wor- but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I don't have not one time regretted a decision we made particularly I gave up my career I didn't give up my that's the wrong language but I chose to step away from my career so I could be their primary caretaker because I could just not put that on to somebody else Mm. other families may not have that option or it might not be the right fit for them Um, and looking back even my daughter was just asking me about it the other day and I was like no I wouldn't have traded it she's like well what you're just a kid you're a blob what do you you don't need 
I'm like, no, you, you, you needed me. You didn't know you needed me. And it didn't make sense to you now, but someday maybe it will. Mm-hmm. I bet it will. I hope. I'm, I'm curious. So I know that you've established a, a lot of a community through my battle call, but I'm curious, I, you spoke a little bit to modern day families having the option to find people through social media and things like that. But back when you were doing this, you were in the trenches kind of not knowing anyone with a similar situation. How important has community been now that you've been able to find it over the years? How important has it been to battle in Harper? I love in, in Now Hear This how uh, Harper talks about her friends who have a bone conduction hearing aid and her other friend who has an implant. What has community finding people who are on a similar journey, what has that meant for your family? I think it's critical and I wish we had more of it. You know, I think it's now that they're becoming teens that I really do feel compelled to seek out more of those opportunities for them to be around other kids that are deaf and hard of hearing because they really have kind of blended in mainstream wise. But I think there's just nothing can replace being with someone who understands and Mm -hmm. gets it. And so um, those kids in particular that are in the book, we go down annually and we speak to a class of audiology students. So our audiologist is also a professor. And so she brings us in. And Mm -hmm. so our kids get to you know, link up every year. And I've not seen a quicker connection than I've seen with my kids with those kids. That's awesome. And just listening to them talk about what's annoying and, <laughs> and just like, it's just something that nobody else can really provide except for my kids have each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing that's such an interesting dynamic for you guys is that they have a sibling, right? I, I always, I admire them for that because I, I, I feel for the kiddos that I see who they're the only child. And so they have all these extra appointments and how that dynamic plays out. I'm hoping I'll have a, an opportunity to have an, an episode about something like that in the future. But I, I'm curious, how have you seen that play out in terms of like sibling rivalry versus sibling commiserie versus sibling empowerment? Like what has that process been like? I think it's been, it's evolving and changing with every season of their kind of development. Um, They've always been thick as thieves. Mm -hmm. Like they have their own secret language. It's crazy. It's (laughs) crazy. Yeah. They, they, uh, they're very different, but they also have just this part of them. That's so the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've heard them talking to each other about some of the things that are annoying or stress them out or, you know, now that they're getting older and their social situations are becoming more complex, it's Mm -hmm. changing but I think it just gives them somebody that just gets it. Mm. And it's interesting because when we found out Harper also had Pendred syndrome, you know, I, I've written about it. I, when we found out we were pregnant with her, I just assumed she'd be hearing, even though I sure. knew the odds were one in four Sure. chances of a sibling also having hearing loss. I just was so... I think, I don't know, naive or uh, wishful thinking. I don't know. So I was devastated when I found out. I was devastated. I mean, I had envisioned having a hearing baby. Mm -hmm. And again, it's looking at that mainstream motherhood of what what looks so easy and so Mm -hmm. carefree. And so I did have that time when she was in utero to kind of digest and, and accept it. And then but now I wouldn't change it. it. I would not change it. It's like, it's totally meant to be. Yeah. And so this family, we do this 
speaking engagement with, they have three kids. Their middle son is hearing mm-hmm. and the oldest and youngest have cochlear implants and they call him the poor, poor hearing child. <laughs> and they laugh. I mean, the family's hilarious. They're like, they bring such humor and joy to their experience. And um, yeah, they're like, so what's it like being the only one who can hear in the house? You know, it's oh like, my gosh. he's the odd man out. He's yeah. like, it's not fair. My brother can take his ears off and he keeps talking to me and it's just so rude and it's just, it's funny. A totally it's, different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not really a rivalry. I don't think they definitely each have a set of strengths mm-hmm. and it's fun to see how it's all playing out. They switch roles often. Sure. Or phases. And so it's, yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, I'm so like, it's just, you never know what you think is bad news that turns out to be just a blessing in disguise. It's so cliche and so true. Yeah. So speaking of their strengths, as because your children definitely have a lot of strengths, one of their biggest ones that I'm assuming that you and your husband had a big impact in is their self-advocacy skills. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull now hear this real quick. So this is a book that Harper wrote with her mom that she wrote with Valley. Uh, now hear this Harper soars with her magic ears. It's a book from Harper's perspective on her hearing loss from when she was born all the way up to when she got her implants and then her experience with her friends and all of the cool things that she does. I love the pictures in the back. There's a glossary with like audiological terms and definitions. This is just a great, like all around book for families, I think, because it's very informative. I love the glossary in the back. It's really inspirational to just see like how amazing Harper is doing with her life, but it's also just like just a cool, interesting book. Like I really love having it from her perspective, but one of her big things that that's obvious of her. And one of the things I know is a major focus for you is this self-advocacy. And so there's a quote in here in the book where Harper says, you might think all this stuff with my ears was a problem, but now that I'm 12, I realize I've never thought there was anything I couldn't do. Being born with hearing loss hasn't stopped me one bit. So that's just like the perfect encapsulation of where I hope every single one of my pediatric patients reaches one day is this idea, like this realization of, oh, it didn't stop me at all. Like, look at all of these great things I'm doing. So I'm curious, was there any kind of goal or strategy in terms of building this up in them? And how how did that progress over time? How did they reach this point? Well, thank you for all your kind words about the book. It really, I am so in love with the book. I just, I could talk about the book all day, every day. And when COVID restrictions let up, we will be touring around talking about the book because our whole book tour got canceled. But anyways, thank oh, you I for- didn't realize that. Oh I didn't yeah. Realize it was so recent. Yeah, it was a year ago. It came out February 18th of 2020. No way. Way. Oh my yeah. Oh, so well, all the gigs. Yeah, we had gigs across the country. All eh. so um, anyways, it goes back to that auditory verbal therapist we had early on, about six months old. And he says to us, and we would go as a family. Chris would come with me. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a Marine, not a lot of Marines go into you know, therapy during the middle of the day, but he just, uh, he would come whenever he could. And therapist says, set the bar high for this kid and he will rise. Mm. Wherever you set it, he's going to rise. Don't measure him only against deaf peers, measure him against all peers. And I, and he didn't mean like, you know, in a, in an unkind way Definitely, about, me- yeah. about measurements, but sure. He just, the sky is the limit for this kid. Like he's so smart and so inquisitive and like, you know, he just saw all the, the best things in 
in battle. And I'm sure he did that to every patient he worked with. I'm sure mm -hmm. he was able to pull extrapolate like their best. Um, Cause you knew he wasn't full of it either. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. It was, it was authentic what he was saying to us, but it just registered and resonated with us very early on. And we had no reason to believe that they couldn't do whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just our mindset and our family's mindset that this wasn't going to be something that didn't allow them to live a full life. Like we just never thought that way. And then, so they, kids rise to whatever expectations are set. Right. Yeah. And they, they believe about themselves, what is breathed into them. So mm. you tell them they're capable, they'll be capable. Tell them strong, they'll be strong. Tell them they're kind, they'll be kind. You know, they, they believe what you tell them about them. Mm -hmm. So we just always made them believe that. And we, we, we believed it too. And so when people say, your kids play sports, I didn't know a kid with a cochlear implant could play a sports. And I'm like, I never knew one couldn't. I, I love I, that. I, I never once thought, now it, we have to, you know, accommodate and it's never quite as easy as just you know a typical kid that doesn't have devices on to put on a football helmet and go out there I mean we're charging batteries and this helmet has to be specially fitted and he wears a skull cap and then it comes off and he can't hear and the officials have to get involved and I mean but he doesn't know any different either mm -hmm. and That's he'll great. say he uh, now at this age he'll say well what other choice do I have you know you got to do what you got to do like I mean, I was like, wow. Okay. I think we're going <laughs> to, I think we're going to be okay because he's like, well, I mean, it is what it is. Like you just have to, you just have to do it, make it work. So I think it just starts with that. And hopefully a book like ours. And that was one of the reasons we wanted that on every nightstand mm -hmm. because kids need to see themselves representative, representative, yeah. but they also need to see what's possible. Yes. And when they were little, we didn't have, there was one book I know, and it was written by this little girl and you could tell they made it like at Kinko's. Mm -hmm. It was about her getting her hearing aids and Harper still has it. And it was not very in depth, but Harper read that book over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I'm like, because she wants to see herself. Yeah. And El Defo, you know, they, as they got older, they, they were into that book, but I'm like, we could, I mean, we could do better than there there should be more than only a few books on the shelves definitely and yeah. and this crosses over a, a disability or a challenge you know it could be related to anything that makes you different or challenge challenges you and then it helps the hearing peers like even when our friends was like I never really thought about um, when I say never mind that might hurt her feelings like I never thought wow. about that it's like yeah well she didn't tell me that well what's she gonna tell you yeah. like you know so um hopefully that also helps empower kids and families messages absolutely. like that now yeah. absolutely i'm curious over because now they're teenagers and i'm i think both of them are in high school now at this point eighth ninth eighth and ninth okay so now that they're kind of transitioning to high school have there been any so i think that that story of Harper with her friend, that's a great example of a moment where you had to think about this, like, 
how, like, how are we navigating these conversations? And it's one of those things I know clinicians try to do is like, okay, like if your friends ask you, like, what are these things on your ears? Like, what are you going to tell them? And you kind of have these pretend scenarios where you try to practice to see what the child will say. And then you help give them strategies for things to say. But I'm curious over the years of them transitioning from, you know, being little into elementary school and then from elementary to middle, maybe different sports that they've taken on or different family members who haven't really understood what's going on here? Have there been any moments that have stuck out to you of, of like, this was like a moment where it was like, okay, we are advocating for ourselves or we need to, we need to like say something here. You know what I mean? Like those kind of critical moments where you saw a turn either in them or in yourself in terms of your ability to advocate. Ooh, that's a lot to unpack. That could be a show that, I mean, there's so many moments. Okay. So many, it's been a consistent parenting strategy of mine from the get-go that I would advocate for them. I would educate those around them because I understand that people don't get it and mm -hmm. to not begrudge them for that because I didn't know battle's the first deaf person I ever met. So mm -hmm. um, not to get mad, like that's another thing in the disability world is people get mad. Don't get mad, help. And then once you educated then if people just disregard and and don't you know accommodate or whatever then I can see being upset over it but so I think I modeled it for them okay and it embarrassed them they oh mm. mom, oh mom you know but I'm like no they you know this is important your coach has to know that, you know that when their back is turned and they're giving the instructions you can't hear mm -hmm. like you have to be moved to the front of the line and for basketball drills in a gymnasium. You can't be in the back and trying to figure it out. You need to, you know, and just small things like that. So telling them, so modeling it, and then each kid handles it different and has handled it differently based on what age they are. So battle was so aloof. He wouldn't know if a kid was staring at him and looking at his implants, <laughs> not like unaware. Yeah. Harper would, Harper could, just more visual would see it. So I was like, well, he's looking because he's wondering, he's just curious what that thing is on your ear. Do you want to tell him about it? Yeah, that's just embarrassing. Or, you know, no. So I would say, well, oh, are you looking at her implant? <laughs> and then just give a, you know, a sentence about it. And then, so I think again, it's modeling. Yeah. But then it's also their boundaries because I'm not the person with the hearing loss. So I don't, they get to set their own boundaries and it's not for me to tell them what their comfort level is going to be. Yeah. But I did see it with battle on a basketball team after the game, the coach pulls them out and they're in the auditorium kind of huddled up talking about the game. It's, you know, loud background noise. The next game mm -hmm. started all the, just your worst nightmare. <laughs> and the coach is soft-spoken. Another just your worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and he has this little exercise after the game. Everyone go around and say one thing you think somebody did well or something. Mm -hmm. And so I'm off to the side, but I'm, you know, I'm dialed in because, you know, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Well, all the other parents are just chatting and I'm like, you know, I, I see, oh, this is probably going to be a moment over here and got to battle and battle repeated what someone else had already said. And and he said, you can't do one that somebody else has already said and kind of like called him out and embarrassed him. Mm. And we, he just didn't say anything. We got in the car and he didn't say anything. And I finally was like, so did, you know, what happened when you guys were in the huddle? He's like, well, I couldn't hear him. And so I, you know, I was like, 
okay, but he's forgotten and you need to let him know. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, he's not going to pick up the phone. So he sent him an email just, just so you know, it's really hard for me to hear in a gymnasium. And when you were doing that, I didn't hear that so-and-so had already said that. First of all, all their heads were down and they were talking <laughs> at the floor because they had lost. And I could see that coach made way bigger effort after that because he was like, wow, I didn't mean to do that. And then we've created a parent resource guide. Mm-hmm. One I've uh, made for teachers. I made it with the kids. So we give it to all the school staff and teaching staff before school year. Sure. That's real personalized and explains kind of the nuances. So not the stuff you find in an IEP or 504. It's more like the nuances of just like when the lunch lady talks on the microphone in the lunchroom, it's really noisy and it sounds muffled to me. So I don't know when to stand up. Mm -hmm. So the lunch lady needs to know that when you're talking on that microphone and if I don't stand up, don't come over and bench me. True story. So that, and then we made one for coaches too, that we could hand out because most, you know, most coaches, you know, they want the best for the kid and the team, but mm-hmm. they just don't know. And often, you know, I'm sure you find this, that, you know, since hearing loss is like an invisible mm-hmm. disability and our kids look, look and act so normal, totally normal, yeah. everybody around them and even their own family forgets. Absolutely. So they do have, now Harper will handle it with humor with her friends. She's like, I can't hear a word you're saying, you know, can, and with the masks right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Nightmare. It's been a year. I it's believe tough. it for your kids. It had to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, battle ass every day. How much longer do you think we're going to have to wear masks at school? I was like, oh, I hope by the fall, but. It feels like it's in sight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been just one of my favorite conversations, Valley. I just really appreciate your insights. I appreciate your experience. I appreciate Harper and Battle and their experience and how much this is going to be just so helpful for other clinicians and families and kids with hearing loss, maybe that are tuning in. So we're kind of coming up right here on the end of our time. I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit more about Now Hear This, or maybe I, I don't I don't remember what you said the name of Battle's book is going to be. I'm curious about that. But anything about my battle call, if you want to share just where people can find you and, and other information you might want to share. Oh, thank you. Wow. That went quick. It went so fast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed this. I mean, I'm an audiology nerd too. I mm-hmm. was listening to your interview with Lindsay on my, when I was walking the dogs and uh, <laughs> I think you called yourself a, a nerd. And I was like, Oh, I love that. She's so great. <laughs> so my battle call on Facebook is actually my largest platform. And I know a lot of people say, Oh, that's just for old people, but we have a real active, supportive community over there. I, mm-hmm. It's where I, it's really because my background is writing. And so that's more of a writer's platform. Sure. So I can, I can post, you know, longer stuff and great interaction hap- happens over there. And then Instagram, I think that's where I found you, mm-hmm. is another pretty, a different community, but sure. just as actively like as supportive. And so there, and then my website's mybattlecall.com. And now here, this is on Amazon and I think it's on sale right now. Yeah. And oh. then I, al- I also have, if somebody wants to order like a large amount of books, like I've had for an audiologist puts them in every care package mm-hmm. for their new patients or hands and voices, it's giving them out to participants of an event that they can go through me 
and I can order author copies and ship them directly in bulk. So the price is better. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So, and we don't have a name for battles. It's just in conceptual, we're just conceptualizing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that one though. That's going to be great. Yeah. It's not going to be as uh, sentimental and all the things as (laughs) Harper's book. This one's going to be humorous and more geared towards little kids. Okay. Because Harper's is for readers. I mean, yeah. I have one review. I've gotten great reviews. And I mean, I don't think that um, just, it, it said it's, it's a little wordy. I'm like, <laughs> well, we like words. We like words. And Harper likes words. And it was her idea. She didn't want it to just be for little kids. She wanted you to grow into it. So your parents mm-hmm. read it to you. And then you start to read it on your own. And you could be 12 and still reading it. Mm-hmm. That was the idea. So sorry, it was a little too wordy. But I mean, yeah, you're it'd be a bit much for to hand to a preschooler and say here go read you know yeah but there's but it is it is great it is great and it's i love the the retrospective parts of it i love the future like looking ahead kind of aspects to it it's it's a great book i I highly recommend it to anyone out there listening thanks dakota okay awesome well thank you again for joining me it's been so much fun thank you take care and that's all for today thank you so much for listening subscribing and rating This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.